The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, everybody? My layout's a little messed up. It'll be fixed once uh, my amazing guest gets in uh, here in a couple minutes. But hello, welcome to Ages Analysis. It is your host, AJ Sobalski. We have a lot to talk about today. Obviously, a disappointing kind of a dud loss for the Bills on Saturday against the Steelers. Uh, I'm, I am joined today by Lockdown Bills, one and only Joe Marino. Um, he does a great job. One of the best podcasts around in the Buffalo area. It's a must listen. Um, you can find him over on YouTube and at Twitter, at the Joe, Mar- or at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Before we get started, uh, just a quick word from Jay Spence, um, an, an IPA that Buffalo Rumblings is partnering with, partnering with. Bills Mafia is back. Are you ready for it? The third annual Buffalo Rumblings IPA beer release party is going down September 16th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Resurgence Brewing Company located downtown at 55 Chicago Street. I'm going to tell you what, you do not want to miss this event. Come out and hang with Joe, Sarah, and the rest of the Buffalo Rumblings crew for the Megapod. You're going to want to bring your questions and be a part of the live stream. Get involved. It's going to be live. And this year, we're also going to have our friends from Fans of Buffalo joining the party and sponsoring the fun. They're going to be in the house to provide you with all the information you need to make your away game day experience the easiest and the most smooth that you've ever had in your life. I can promise you, they they do their job very well. So make sure you make it out Saturday, September 16th, 6 p.m., Resurgence Brewing Company, 55 Chicago Street, Go Bills. And here he is, Joe Marino. For those of you listening on audio, thank you. I appreciate all the uh, listens after the show. It's greatly appreciated. 17 of you here, or 17 of you in here. Please drop some comments, some questions. Uh, we'll try to get to those throughout the show. Joe, how are you doing today? AJ, I'm doing good, man. Glad we can uh, hook up and have a conversation together. I know that we've tried a couple of times. Availability was a little off for me, but here we are and we get to talk Bills football. Absolutely. That's the, uh, that's the goal. Uh, Sarah, how are you doing today? Uh, so yeah, let's, let's get started here. Um, obviously I want to start with your thoughts on the game, just overall, maybe some takeaways. Um, we can get into specifics once we get there, but just your overall thought, you know, thoughts about the game and what you think the bills accomplished, what they didn't accomplish, or I know it's just a preseason game and that's kind of been the narrative from some people, um, but maybe just some of your thoughts and takeaways from the game. Well, there's certainly a lot to get into. I think the prevailing thought is probably disappointment with the penalties, right? 12 in the first half, that's a crazy amount. And they had some issues the week before, right? And and to hear Sean McDermott say that they took necessary steps that he thought were necessary to eliminate them and pulling guys out of out of drills during practice if they committed a penalty, 
for them to turn that into 12 in the first half is pretty disappointing. And you certainly hope that that doesn't really linger into the regular season. Uh, that certainly stands out to me. I think there was some good moments for the Bills offense, the first team offense. I think Josh Allen made some really exciting throws down the field, especially to Gabe Davis. You saw Dalton Kincaid really get involved and be exactly what you hope he's going to be that middle of the field target, the route runner, the smooth uh, receiving ability. You saw that on display. Osiris Torrance continued to look good at right guard. Obviously, Josh was pressured quite a bit. Uh, I charted in the 12 dropbacks, including the penalties, right? I, I didn't dismiss them because those are things that happened. Uh, 12 dropbacks are pressured on six of them. Uh, that's not that's not a world you want to live in. That's concerning. I think the pass rush was very disappointing for me on defense. Linebacker play was, eh, I don't know. I don't think these guys climb Dotson. They don't really inspire me much. I was disappointed with Kyrie Elam. He's not really, I know everybody wants him to be the starter, but he's not putting the tape out there that says, hey, I'm better than Dane Jackson. So I think from a high level, I know we're going to get into some specifics. Those are some of my big takeaways as I reflect quickly on the game that we watched on Saturday night. Yeah, the uh, the penalties are definitely a concern. I think they, they can get cleaned up, and I think some of the calls you may question. I think the Spencer Brown um, block in the back, I don't know if you can call it. Maybe maybe it was that. Um, I think it was a little nitpicky. There was a there was only I think the Steelers only had two penalties in the first half compared to the Bills' twelve. Um, but yeah, let, let's start with the playmaking from Dalton Kincaid and the playmaking from Gabe Davis, two guys that I believe are set to kind of take off this year in terms of if they can stay healthy. Dalton Kincaid in a role where he's used as the you know in eleven and a half or whatever twelve personnel, whatever you want to call it, because I think he'll be a lot aligned in the slot quite a bit. I think his ability to run those option routes over the middle is just going to be like a deadly thing to get him on linebackers. You saw that a lot against the Steelers, and then obviously on the outside in the slot with Gabe Davis, who I think they can move around and utilize more as well. Um, something that Ken Dorsey, you've seen from a training camp a few times, Gabe Davis lining up you know all over the place, obviously most most of the time in the boundary, but there has been that a little gimmicky, you know, play calling from uh, Ken Dorsey himself during training camp. Just you know, those two players, how important are they for you? And what, what did you see from them on Saturday that maybe, you know, you can give them an arrow whopper. Their, their stock's kind of trending up headed into the season. Yeah, those guys are key pieces of the offense. I think Stefan Diggs is in line to get 150 targets, but then I think you can look at Davis and Kincaid and think to yourself, that's probably the, number two and number three guy in terms of volume of targets for this offense. It could be 175 plus combined for those two players. And so they're critical pieces of this offense. And I like what I saw from both of them. Uh, Gabe, obviously a couple of nice catches. One that was negated that 40 yard hole shot by Josh Allen was taken away by the Spencer Brown holding. I mean, that was a tremendous display of ball skills, hands, sideline awareness, body control, a crazy good throw from Josh Allen. And I thought all of his completions to Gabe Davis were really, really strong and down the field. And I think Gabe's just had a great training camp. I know you've seen a lot of it. I've seen a lot of it too. And I just feel like that chemistry is really taking off. And I feel good about him being able to solidify his role due in large to the arrival of Dalton Kincaid, who I think is going to be a major benefit for Gabe Davis. You know, Gabe, for what he offers uh, as a down-the-field target size, ball skills. He's not necessarily that quick separator. And so the presence of a slot player like Dalton Kincaid that can get open quick, that can uh, draw attention to the middle of the field, I think it's going to help Gabe Davis out and allow him to be a more efficient weapon in terms of the times that Josh Allen targets him with the football. And so, you know, Gabe was was really good, and I thought Dalton Kincaid as well. He had 
four targets. He probably should have caught all four of them. The, the one that was incomplete was kind of a skipper right to him, right? But he was great separation and a great route. And I think that route running prowess that he shows already, right? That's what gets me excited. He's athletic. He can run great routes. He's smooth. He's got really, really strong hands. And nothing looks too big for him at this point. And you, you think about rookies, and we've watched a lot of preseason, or you should – I don't know if – I have watched a lot of preseason. <laughs> I've watched a lot of rookies – look like they're drinking from a fire hose. You don't get that impression with Dalton Kincaid whatsoever. And, you know, I think you always want to have the right expectations for a guy and not hype him up too much and just be mindful of the, that the guy's never taken a snap in an NFL regular season game. But every indicator that you're looking for that says he's going to be a very meaningful weapon for the Bills this year and potentially like a superstar for this team, it's all there. And, I, and I'm buying in fully based on the player I watched at Utah, the player that I watched at training camp, and the player... Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. That I watch against the Steelers. Yeah, the, the Gabe Davis kind of whole shot from Josh Allen, it, it, was a, it wasn't the same route as those Indianapolis Colts routes his rookie year where he went off and had those sideline grabs with that, you know, great sideline awareness getting two feet down, but that play like almost brought me back to that rookie year of Gabe Davis to be like, dude, this guy, if he can do that consistently, you know, getting to the sideline, getting open on the sideline, using his, you know, his frame and his, his hands to high point the ball um, and get his feet down. I mean, that's something that, you know, if you can do that consistently, it's a great benefit to this offense. Joe totally agree with the Kincaid. You know, every time he's on the field, like even in training camp, I'm like, how did this guy fall to, to 25? Um, I, it just boggles my mind. I thought, you know, the, throughout the whole kind of pre-draft process, I thought he was going to be a top 20, top 15 pick. Um, I thought just the the wide receiver skill from him has just been there since, you know, day one. Um, it, it, no moment has been too big for him. He's looked good. He had that one drop um, during the run and blue or the boon red scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. But that, that was the only kind of hiccup, um, that, you know, that, that hasn't been a consistent thing like, uh, you know, a Khalil Shakir that we might get to later, but uh, let's move to the, the Andy Isabella, Justin shorter kind of dilemma. I saw your tweet and you know, Andy Isabella had one rep as a gunner kind of used his first step, put his foot in the ground and just, you know, ran all the way down the field and caused the fair catch to happen. Is that something that you believe will, maybe could get a nod in the, in the battle right there between shorter Isabella, or do you think no matter what, regardless, really with shorter's good game with that touchdown over the middle, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter, is that kind of shorter's job and maybe Isabella can squeak on. I know that's kind of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't personally don't think Isabella uh, gets a, gets a spot, but there's some do there's some that do. So what are your just thoughts on shorter versus the Isabella thing? 
can probably talk myself into either one making the roster. Um, I probably lean Justin Shorter predictively. I mean, he is the draft pick. He's the guy that's cost-controlled on a fifth-round rookie deal for the next four seasons that does offer something different in terms of height, weight, speed. Uh, He's got good hands. I don't think he's a great route runner, but he's got good hands, good physicality, good ball skills, and he translates well to not only a blocking role in addition to what he can offer as a receiver, but he is that fourth down guy where – whatever phase of special teams you're looking for, he can do it, right? He's not going to be a returner, but you want him to cover kicks and punts. You want him to block on punt and kick return. He can he can certainly do that, and I think that's going to provide a lot of value to the Bills as this wide receiver six, right? I mean, think about Jake Kumaro, that type of player. I think he can fill that role. Now, what's in- interesting about Andy Isabella is I think he's just a more dynamic route runner. I think he's got plenty of inconsistency with his hands if you watch him at UMass and throughout his NFL career, but him getting some opportunities to show more, whether that's serving as the gunner or serving as a kick and punt returner and, and showing the full breadth of what he can offer. A football team is positioning him, positioning him well to at least make this a conversation. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a one-year contract, right? It's not, it's not that cost-control player, and I think that could give shorter the upper hand predictively. Uh, I, I think they're both roster-worthy. Uh, but I don't know that the Bills are going to keep all six because I, I think the Bills are they're, they're gonna, not going to keep both because I think they're going to keep six. Your top five are Diggs, Davis, Hardy, Sherfield, Shakir, probably, and then you have spot for one more. I think it leans towards shorter, but Isabella is certainly making this a conversation. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, and, and you say Khalil Shakir, and I, I noticed how you kind of phrased that, but the, probably – is Khalil Shakir in your mind a guy that you had big aspirations for? I think he had every opportunity to be the wide receiver three. I still think maybe he has an outside shot. Uh, I don't think Sherfield and Hardy, yes, they've been consistent. I think Hardy's shown some things. They've used him a lot in pre-snap motion, stuff like that. Yeah. But is is there a path for Shakir to not make this roster um, right now, or do you think that's kind of just too, way too far-fetched? I'd be surprised. I think it's a conversation worth having um, because Shakir reels you in. And then, man, he disappoints you sometimes, right? I mean, you see yeah. he's a good route runner. He makes some really good catches, can play inside and outside. But then there are just times where you just see him misplay a football or drop an easy one or whiff on a block, right? There's enough warts there for you to say, well, I mean, is this guy really a lock? I think he's going to be a lock. I mean, McDermott said openly recently that he has a lot of confidence in him, and I think that means something. He was also on the field a ton last year, like right? 30-something percent of the snaps. He didn't get a ton of targets, but he was out there. And I think as a cost-control rookie fifth-round pick, a lot of what I said with Justin Shorter, a guy that does offer some upside in the return game as well, You know, I think that there's enough there that is going to make him stick. But the inconsistency is disappointing. And, and that showed up at Boise State too, where if you watched him there, you saw all the things that really in, but there just are those moments you're like, man, like how, like why? And, and it's frustrating, and I don't think that's going to go away. I think there's a large enough sample size of inconsistency um, that you know that that's part of the deal with him. And, and I know that he's wired the right way, comes from a military family, like all the stuff you know that the Bills really, really like about a player. But there's inconsistency there. I think he makes it, but I think it's, like I said, it's a conversation worth having. Yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I think there, I think he makes this roster, and I think he's also, though, I think he's put himself deeper on the depth chart than most probably originally thought headed into the season. I really do think some people believe that he was that wide receiver three. You saw some flashes last year. Obviously, the play that comes to mind, um, 
not not a good play, but it was the Miami Dolphins drop where he, you know, yeah. that probably could have turned the game around. That's kind yeah. of where, you know, he reels you in and then, oh my gosh, you know, what the heck happened? So th- there are those moments with, with Shakir. It's happened during training camp. It's happened, uh, you know, in the preseason. So it's kind of been a consistent thing. Um, so yeah, I, you're spot on with that. And I, I think you're, you're going the right way, but uh, we're going to move to the offensive line. Uh, something that obviously, you know, you got, you got a new left guard. I think Osiris Torrance, McDermott, you know, yesterday during the walkthrough said it's still up for grabs, but I, you know, I think Osiris Torrance, based on what I saw on Saturday, went back and watched his reps. I mean, he's his anchor, his ability to maul people. I, I really like what I've seen from him. He's also shown ability out in space a little bit more than I thought, you know, in college, he was kind of that stereotypical, like, you know, stay in the, stay in the pocket um, and, and block with your anchor and not really move and get in space. He, he's shown that through a couple of games that, you know, getting leaner into camp, not as not as big as he was um, in college. He's shown the ability to kind of get out in space more and be that reliable right guard for them. So, Joe, your thoughts on the offensive line? What what is it with Spencer Brown? Do you do you believe Ryan Bates is is set to be that backup center? And just in case Mitch Morris, uh, you know, goes down with an injury, and what do you feel about Torrance? Um, and then obviously Dawkins has been talked about a little bit. He's a pro's pro. I think he'll be fine. Um, but just your thoughts. You can go through each one um, if you'd like, but just your overall thoughts on the whole line. Yeah, I think Dawkins uh, will be fine. He's a he's been a pro for a while. Um, I just I can't get myself to a level of being concerned with Deion Dawkins. I don't I don't know where the haters have come from recently on Dawkins. It's really wild. I don't know. I, I can't explain that. That's they they can explain it. I guess I don't really align with the opinions that are being sent to me on Dawkins. <laughs> I think he's a perfectly like above average left tackle in the NFL. I don't think he's an elite left tackle. He's not Trent Williams or anything like that. But is he an above average one? Yeah, I do think he is. Uh, Connor McGovern at left guard. Uh, the pass pro looks good. I think the style of run game that the Bills like to run a lot of like spread power stuff and like uh, that's going to it's going to translate better for Connor as opposed to what he was asked to do with Kellen Moore in that offense in Dallas. A lot of like needing to create displacement, not a lot of angles that uh, create advantageous opportunities for him like I think it will in Buffalo. I think he'll be a a reasonable starter. Morse is Morse at center. uh, Outstanding pass blocker ton of range in the run game he's not a people mover but uh he's smart he's got good rapport with josh allen i feel very good about him right guard osiris torrance i think he's looked really steady i think he's been smooth controlled and powerful those are the three words that stay on my mind when i've watched his snaps throughout the preseason it was a little bit tough to gauge him at camp i mean you get one look live from the sideline right it's hard to it's hard to really get good takeaways for the interior offensive line but having a chance to watch the tape for both the Colts and Steelers game, I feel like he's ready to go as a starter there. And I mean, the fact that he got the opportunity against the Colts to start and play as much as he did. And then with Josh Allen at quarterback, right. To, to start, right. I think that says something. And I know that McDermott hasn't said it out loud, but it feels like it's his job. So I'm very excited by him as being an upside player for this offensive line and being that people mover, right. There's not been a lot of guys that just create a ton of displacement for this bills offensive line. I think Torrance can give him that, and then that gets us to Spencer Brown at right tackle, where you know I think he's had a, a tough couple years to start his NFL career, and you know there's certainly a lot of reasons for the up and down, whether it's coming out of high school as a tight end for eight man football, and then not playing a senior year because it's canceled due to COVID, and rookie starter by week four, and has some injuries. Entire second off season, he's got a back surgery that really kept him out right up until the Rams game, and then you know had his ups and downs as well in his second season. And so I've been hopeful that 
you know, he could capitalize on a really exciting physical package in terms of size and athleticism and length. But I just, every time I watch Spencer Brown, he just, he just looks vulnerable to me. Um, and so I, I think I'm becoming a little bit discouraged there where um, I'm hopeful and I, I haven't, and I don't think the chapter, the book's not written on Spencer Brown, but you watch him against Pittsburgh and I really only credited him with allowing pressure once. It was the, on the whole shot to Gabe Davis, right? His face got crossed, his inside hand didn't, didn't latch and, you know, Marcus Golden was able to get that inside rush on him, but he's just vulnerable. And, and I think that I was hopeful that that wouldn't be the case seeing him fully healthy against the Steelers. So um, it, it, it is a level of concern that I have for this offense is, is that right tackle spot, but he's got upside, but at some point he's got to deliver on that upside and it needs to be this year and it needs to be quick. Yeah. I, uh, I, I went back and watched Spencer Brown's reps um, against Pittsburgh. I didn't think, I mean, there's, Here's the thing, I and mean, we were talking about it kind of before the show, and and people have these predetermined thoughts and predetermined notions about a player. And there's a lot of people and naysayers on Spencer Brown. I think that, and, and rightfully so, he hasn't really proven much. He had an okay rookie year with some promise, and then last year, you know, that kind of got shut down. But for me, I, he didn't look too bad. I thought he held up well, not great against T.J. Watt. I mean, he's a premier pass rusher. Um, one play that was really notable to me was when he passed off the defensive end, Torrance, and picked up the linebacker on the blitz. I thought that was a really good play from Spencer. I'm um, just, you know, just from a communication standpoint, because I'm not really worried. Obviously, I'm more worried about Spencer Brown than anyone else on the offensive line, just because he's the only one that hasn't done it in, in the NFL. Obviously, Torrance I'm concerned about, but he's been – I mean, he, he allowed zero sacks in college. I think the more reps he gets, the better he'll get. Um, but I'm more worried about communication, pre-snap communication with these guys. I think that's going to be the key. I think teams are going to try to dial up pressure. Um, it's going to be important for the, you know, the two guys on the you know, the right or left of Morris, they're two, they're going to be two new guys most likely. So that communication, Aaron Cromer preaches it, continuity. I think that's a big reason why Spencer Brown is still at that right tackle spot. They wanted to keep that unit cohesive, you know, knowing they're probably going to replace those, re- replace those two interior spots. So that's that's my thoughts on it. I, I want to see better pre-snap communication. I want to get rid of the false start penalties that, that they can't happen. I mean, it wasn't just Spencer Brown. It wasn't. I mean, it was the whole offensive line. But now, Joe, we get to the conversation of the depth, and that's another question. Obviously, it, take, it took a hit with Tommy Doyle. Um, you know, prayers up to Tommy, a guy that he probably he probably would have made this roster with the Brandon Shell retirement. I think he brings that you know versatile presence on the offensive line, but. You know, he's he's done now. He's going to have probably a year to 16-month recovery um, with the ACL, LCL tear and, a you know, like, a nerve issue around the knee. So, you know, scary injury and something that obviously you don't want to see. So, Joe, with the retirement of Brandon Shell, you have your guy RVD that, you know, he's looked okay. I think he's looked, you know, at, at the left tackle spot backing up Deion. I think that's where he's been best. I think that's something you've mentioned. Um, and on the other side of the ball or on the other side of the, of the offensive line, um, the, David Questenberry, um, is that a guy that maybe can play that depth role? I know um, there's a rumor maybe that, you know, the Cardinals offensive tackle Josh Jones is someone that maybe could not be on a roster and maybe be a, a trade candidate. Do the Bills bring in someone for depth? First question. And the second question, are you confident with the depth they have right now? Well, so the interior offensive line depth is outstanding. It might be the best interior offensive line depth in the entire NFL with Ryan Pates and David Edwards. I mean, those guys – are outstanding. Brian Bates can play all the spots, including center. And then David Edwards is an NFL starter. The bills will just happen to be very lucky to have him on their bench. And so I love that. I mean, that's really, really good. Not the same situation at tackle. Right. And um, I love what I've seen from Ryan Vandemark uh, at left tackle, uh, long athletic controlled 
coordinated, using his length extremely well. I mean, I have a lot of confidence in him to play on the left side. I don't have as much for him to play on the right side. And, you know, he's a four-year starter at UConn. In the last three, he was at left tackle. And so you can just tell he's just – it's not as natural. He's not as repped on the right side. And so, you know, that's a level of concern. But it's nice to know that I feel somewhat comfortable with him stepping in for Deion Dawkins if necessary at left tackle. At right tackle, it's a mess. I mean, David Questenbury – Dude, like he struggles. He struggled last year when he was on the field. And then, you know, I was at camp for four days and I'm like charting sacks and like everybody's beating David Questenbury. And, and like even even in this preseason, he's been getting worked a little bit. And what's fascinating is, you know, like was he even going to play in this last game? Like was Tommy Doyle and Rand- Ryan Vandemark going to finish the game at tackle? And like because of the injury, it led to a few reps from Questenbury and then Garage comes in at right tackle. Like I, I, I have a hard time gauging what this team actually thinks about Questenbury, um, because he was like a four hole spot for them last year, but he struggled. And then it feels like just guys are climbing over him this year. And so I don't know, like, I don't love being a snap away from that guy going in. Um, Brandon shell gave me a higher level of comfort. And, you know, I think maybe they were hopeful that Tommy Doyle could beat him out and, you know, Tommy Doyle's not going to be around for a while. So I think the bills do have a concern with their tackle depth. I think right now it's probably Vandemark and Questenbury that make the team, uh, but I think they should be considering outside options, and that's because there are good outside options. That whether it's Jason Peters that you can contact, or even like you know Josh Jones is is a guy who I thought played good football last year and you know has shown some versatility himself. And it's hard to add a guy right now and then like expect them to be an answer for you. But I think you need to start having some hedges, and God forbid one of these guys gets injured at tackle, and you really have to find out what your depth looks like. Um, you know, it could get a little dicey. And, and Joe, especially when you're dealing with a, a guy on the right side, six foot seven, back issues like that. Mm-hmm. That is just concerning to me in its, itself because of the fact that I think that's something that could, um, you know, reoccur or something that may plague him for you know his NFL career. Jessica has a question for you, Joe. Do you think Richard Garage will start training next to his college teammate at right tackle? He started right. That's that's transition has already happened. He played right tackle in this game uh, that we just watched. I think Richard Garage is an interesting player. I I mean, I watched him at Florida. I thought he was pretty solid. I thought he was really good at the Senior Bowl. His his testing was terrible. I mean, I mean, like very very poor. I, I mean, just I'm surprised he can function in the NFL with how bad his athletic testing was. But then like he's not that bad when he's on the field. So I mean, I think as a uh, a developmental guy that'll be stashed in the practice squad. He does give me a level of appeal, but I don't think there's a world where he can help the Bills this year as a reserve. All right, one more thing on the offensive side of the ball. We'll transition to the Stefan Diggs stuff for about two minutes, and then we're going to get to the defensive stuff. Uh, backup quarterback, Joe. Uh, you know, I think the Matt Barkley kind of um, fiasco or the fun with him is kind of coming to an end. I don't look. He, he's going. He's a good friend of Josh. They they know each other well. He's can do it if, if he's absolutely asked to. I, I Again, you're not trusting a back quarterback across the whole entire league to do much of anything um, and win this league. There's just not that – there's barely, you know, 20 starters in the NFL that are good enough to win 9 to 10 games. There's not, you know, 64 um, quarterbacks that can do it week in, week out. Just your thoughts on the backup quarterback position, Kyle Allen, Matt Barkley. Um, it, it, I know it's probably not the biggest concern for you just because I think Josh Allen, like, Collect the fan base. If you don't have Josh, you're not winning. Uh, but just your thoughts on Kyle Allen's performance on Saturday as well as Matt Barkley's. 
Well, I mean, I can certainly understand that perspective of, all right, Josh Allen's not in there. You know, it's going to be tough. It, it really is. But the NFL is using quarterback depth. There was a, there, a record last year for the most amount of quarterbacks to start a game in the NFL. It was like 66, which is more than two per team, right, on average. So, And Josh Allen currently has the longest streak in the NFL for consecutive games by a starting NFL quarterback, and he's got it by a, a large margin. And so, I mean, I'm not – calling it or anything like that but he's had good injury luck and at the same time the nfl is using more starting quarterbacks than ever so it's kind of a it's kind of a funny spot to be and so i i don't think that you should you have to realize like not every injury is season ending right if josh allen goes down for for the season okay then we can we can have a big cry fest but there's a chance it could be two weeks four weeks six weeks and then you still get a chance to get them back and go on a run. And so I don't, I don't like the idea that you're one play away from the other 52 guys on the roster, not having a chance to compete. So I do think you need to have a, a reasonable option to step in there. And I thought Kyle Allen could be that. And what the whole Matt Barkley thing really came down to Kyle Allen, not looking good, right? That that's what inspired it. Then Matt Barkley goes out there and has a crazy good game against the Colts. And you know, now it's like, okay, Matt Barkley, can he be the guy? We know what Matt Barkley is. Matt Barkley's played football in the NFL for a long time, and sometimes he can have those electric moments, whether it was against the Colts or that one Jets game where he lost his mind and played really, really good during during uh, Josh Allen's rookie season. But more times than not, he's a little bit more like what we saw against the Steelers. But you started to ask yourself, is this the best option that they have? And, and the answer might be yes. Now, Kyle Allen went out there and played a lot better this past week. And I think one thing that we have to keep in mind with Kyle Allen is that Everything's new for him, right? It's a new team, new weapons, new offensive line, new coordinator. And, and I think it's it's a probably a really hard job as a backup quarterback to get up to speed given those circumstances. It's not like you're the guy, right? You're not getting out all the starter reps. You're, the focus is on Josh Allen and getting him ready to play in a season. And then for the backup quarterback, right, you got you to gotta figure it out kind of along the way as well. And so I'm hopeful that you know, we can look at the concerns that have existed with Kyle Allen and say, yeah, he's just knew he needed reps. And we've seen, we've seen growth, right? Year, week over week, we saw growth from Kyle Allen. I'm sure he's going to play a ton against the Bears on Saturday. And I think ultimately that's going to be your QB too. And so I don't expect the move to be made at quarterback. Um, you know, I don't know how significant the Matt Barkley injury is. I've heard some things there. If there is some significance there, then I'm sure the Bills will get a, a practice squad quarterback. But if not, I think it's Kyle Allen to the 53, Matt Barkley to the practice squad, and you sit there and hope and pray Josh Allen doesn't get hurt. Yeah, and it, you know, to your point, Joe, about stepping in if Josh gets hurt, I think it also is a little bit of luck. Like if, if they if Josh Allen misses three weeks during a Raiders, Commanders, Dolphins stretch, is different than him missing three games against the Eagles, Chiefs, and Cowboys. Like there, there's there's also like a you know it's kind of like a luck. Like what, if he does go down, maybe you get a, a, a easier stretch or a weaker schedule. Um, but yeah, thank thank you for uh, listening, guys. Please leave a like, uh, subscribe. We got you know a couple more things to talk about the defensive side of the ball. Um, but before we get to that, I want to talk about the Stefan Diggs kind of saga. Finally, hopefully, finally, hopefully coming to an end. Uh, maybe until next year if the Bills fall short and don't make it past the division round. But you know that's that's conversation way down the line. Uh, but Stefan Diggs obviously comes out, responds to Stephen A. Smith, says he wants to be a Bill. Um, he's, you know, I'm, I ride with the mafia, all this stuff. Joe, do you think there's any, you know, truth to what Stephen A. Smith said? Because um, I, you know, there's part of me that maybe Stefan Diggs did get emotional and he did sit, tell people some things. But, you know, we truly don't know. What are your thoughts on the Diggs thing and how, how do you kind of feel about that? I know, I know it's kind of 
been so prolonged that it's kind of old to talk about. Well, I mean, Steph, Stephen A. Smith had to bring it up today, and so we have to have this conversation. Um, I I like what Stefan Diggs did today to kind of squash that right away. Um, but I think my perspective on Diggs has always been this. We think everything's good right now, and it is. Mm-hmm. But what happens, not necessarily when the Bills next – you know, like when they face adversity next, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how does Stefan Diggs respond mm-hmm. in that moment? And mm-hmm. is it different this time around based on what his utilization looks like? Like, what are the contributing factors? We really still don't know. And so did conversations fix it? But like what happens when whatever he thought needed to be fixed rears its ugly head again? And, and does he lose his mind? You know, so I think I think I'm always going to be a little bit nervous about Diggs until that next moment happens and how he responds. And, you know, look, receivers, they, they're different kind of people, man. I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to relate with them. I, I would certainly handle my business a lot differently than he has. He certainly wanted to make sure the whole world knew that he was frustrated about something, didn't want to tell us exactly what it was, but he wanted to make sure we knew he was mad. Congratulations, you did that. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think I'll have a piece of me that's a little nervous until something doesn't go right and Diggs has the opportunity to lose his mind and he doesn't. Yeah, that's uh, you know that that is like not not. I mean, it's kind of music to my ears because that's kind of exactly like how I feel. I think there's there's like trust and like okay, we're living in the moment here. Like he had those conversations, they kind of figured themselves out. He's back on the team, laughing, having fun. But in that, the big question is what happens, like you said, Joe, when there's that you know that loss that you didn't expect, or they go through adversity, or someone goes down, or the emotions are high. Like, I don't know how he, you know, I don't know the guy personally. I don't know how he is emotionally, but there, there is some concern for emotionally if he's able to handle, you know, the, the whole 17 game season playoffs with going through all this stuff. How's he going to handle that? I think that's a great question and a great observation, Joe. Um, and, and you're, you're, you're right about that. I think it, it's, it's put to bed right now, but until I see the bills go through something like that again, or go through adversity and it doesn't need to be a 27, 10 loss to the, to the Bengals at, at home. It doesn't have the exact example, but even in mid season, if they drop a tough one or lose a game, they've shown it or something like a Minnesota game or something like that. Like, I just think there, there's some cause for concern and I'm not, I'm 90, 90% probably there, but there's still 10% of me. That's like, this could still be an issue down the road. Um, okay. We're moving to the defense now. Uh, so we've been talking exclusively offense. We cover the digs thing for a little bit. That's kind of, I, I really don't want to address that until I'm going to have to again. Um, hopefully no one has to, but, We'll see. But uh, defensive side of the ball, cornerback two, uh, Dane Jackson. I mean, Mr. Reliable, Mr. You know, higher floor, lower ceiling. Um, that's kind of what the narrative's been about him. Seems to be in the right spot um, majority of the time. Does get picked on a little bit, but that's expected, I think, when you have your opposite Trey White and you have two safeties that are the caliber of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Just that battle, how it's how it's playing itself out. I know Christian Benford, towards the end of camp, when it was open to the public, flashed, had a couple of interceptions. I know Kyer Elam had a couple of moments where he shined, but then there's also been those moments, like on Saturday, where he didn't really have that great of a game. Um, you know, he got beat on a couple of releases. He was playing his press man, something that he really is flourished with, and was still getting beat. And then, obviously, Dane Jackson, um, you know, another – I would say you can't really take much from the preseason game. He didn't get many reps. Um, but just your thoughts on the cornerback two battle and how it's progressed um, after your thoughts on uh, Saturday. 
Well, I, I think Dane played like seven snaps against the Steelers and like six maybe the week before that. And meanwhile, Benford and Elam are playing a ton. And I think that's the coaching staff saying, okay, you want the job? Go take it. Go get it. Because right now we think Dane Jackson is the best corner. And if one of y'all think you're better, then go do it, right? And they're getting that opportunity. And I don't think that they're doing much with the opportunity, AJ. I feel like based on what I've observed, I think the best corner has been Dane Jackson. I think the second best corner has been Christian Benford. And I think the third best corner has been Kyrie Elam. And I know that's gonna that probably makes people frustrated. Kyrie Elam's the first-round pick. And you certainly want him to be an answer, right, and have a couple of first-round corners and Trey White and Kyrie Elam and shutting down everybody. Well, that hadn't been the case so far. And I think that at the end of the day, while you should want your first round pick to be a starter, you should want your best players to be on the field. And based on what I've observed, I, I don't think Kyrie Elam has been the best of the group. And I think he's been the third best of the group. And maybe there's going to be some platoon, right? The, the bills have literally platooned at that position three of the last six years. It's been a normal thing, including last year, they platooned at CB two. And so I, I don't think it's unprecedented that they'll do it again. And some of the games and some of the matchups may lend itself more to a Kyrie Elam being in there over a Dane Jackson. But um, I don't, if you're, if you're putting stock into these preseason games, he hadn't played well. He hadn't played well. Like you mentioned, there were some issues with, you know, his face getting crossed and giving up inside leverage when he didn't have help on the Kingsley Jonathan, go back and watch the snap where Kingsley Jonathan got his sack. I mean, Kyrie Elam got twisted up, and I mean, the guy was wide open in the middle of the field. If Kingsley doesn't get that sack, I mean, it's a touchdown, probably a 30-yard gain uh, and an easy throw down the field. So uh, he's got to play better, and he's 22. He's young. I mean, he's a year and a half younger than Dalton Kincaid. I, I, that's something I keep on bringing up. It's it, it might not be a year two thing for him. It might be a year th- three thing, but you know, certainly the, the trajectory here is a bit concerning, and um, I understand why Dane Jackson's getting this opportunity because right now I think he's their best option. Yeah, I totally agree. What I've seen from Dan in training camp, what I've seen from him in the limited preseason action, I mean, he had an interception. I think that was more like right place, right time. Uh, but I think he still was in the right spot. I just think it was a – I think Saran Neal put a great, you know, hands in the air, got got Anthony Richardson uncomfortable, a rookie that is going to be playing with a little – you know, he's going to be a little confused his first start, and he's kind of a raw prospect. So that, that tends to happen. Uh, but, yeah, I, Kyrie Elam, I don't know if he's – uh, someone in the comments said – could Elam turn out to be Roy Collins? Could Elam turn out to be Bean's first round, first first round bust? Uh, I'm not going to go that far yet. I'm not going to say it's trending even that way, but I think there is a part of me where maybe Kyrie Elam isn't the guy that they wanted him to be. Maybe they couldn't find a plan for him. Now, the thing that is kind of benefiting Elam, I believe, is the fact that Dane Jackson's on a one-year deal. I don't know if they bring him back again. So that could open the door again for next year for Kyrie Elam. A lot of people are Ky- Kyrie Elam fans. A lot of fans want him to be the guy, and I understand that because he's they traded up for him, and he was kind of like their last first-round grade, and they went and got him. And he just hasn't – although he's shown some moments, I'd say, in the NFL when he's played, it hasn't been consistent. Um, and then, Joe, like you said, I think Benford's had a really – Good camp. I don't think he's gotten as much opportunity as Elam and Jackson with the ones, but I think when he's gotten the opportunity, he's shown some good things. Um, so I like what I've seen from Benford. Moving on to the middle linebacker. Are you got anything more, Joe? You got anything to add? You know, when you were talking there, it made me think of a story, and I don't know if this is going to hit home with people, but I'll 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 put it out there. Okay. Uh, in, in a previous line of work that I had, I don't know, like 15 years ago, uh, I was I was an account manager uh, for a company, and one of the I took over this account, right, and and. The, the people came to me, uh, the ownership came to me and said, hey, we need you to take over this account. Uh, we might not be able to keep it. 
They got some really difficult people to work with, but we think that you can be the person that steps in and, and, and saves it. Okay. So I go in there and I, I feel some, some level of pressure, right? Because I don't want to lose the account. They think that I can be the one that saves it. There's a difficult person that I have to deal with. And I remember trying so hard to do everything right to, to, to save the account, make that person happy and, and all this, all the things that I couldn't stop making mistakes. I couldn't, right? I, I, I'm like, and I even had a, the difficult person calls me out. And I remember speaking to this lady on the phone and saying, you know what? I'm trying so hard not to make mistakes that I can't stop making them. And I just was very vulnerable and honest with them. And I wonder if there's some of that with Kyrie Elam, because AJ, I know you've been to a lot of practices and I don't know if you observe the same things I have, but he's on the field early. He's really, really like rigid and repped and he's working really hard. There's no mm-hmm. question that he's mm-hmm. putting in the time, right? He's the guy that wanted the playbook on the plane, all that stuff. And I think he's what he's not doing, he's not allowing him to just be natural, right? Everything that he's doing feels calculated. He's thinking. He's not trusting his technique. He's not understanding where his leverage is. And I think he's trying so hard to get it that it's the worst possible thing because he's not allowing himself to play loose and play free. And I feel like if those parallels make sense, what I'm trying to communicate here, where you're trying so hard to do something that you're not doing it correctly because you're just not being yourself and, and, and being what you're fully capable of being. Yeah, Joe, and I, I totally agree with that. And I think to add to that point, I think all offseason, I've seen him on a couple of shows and how he's talked about and he's exuded confidence. I think you see that confidence exuded in one-on-one reps when he wins a rep. He's very emphatic. Um, like you said, he's always working after practice with Zane Anderson every day. Um, he's out there after practice, one of the first ones on the field. More early, later on, he would come out a little bit later, but like starting camp, he was very, very – I know, Roy, I got to slow down. I got I to work on that. But, yeah, I, I think that uh, – Elam is a, is a very interesting kind of thought. What is he going to be? Is he going to be that guy that maybe can plug in for Dane if he's not able to, I don't know, reach that kind of ceiling? I know he doesn't have the highest ceiling, so it's hard. But uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, so I want to move on to the middle linebacker spot. Huge, huge kind of um, question mark for the Bills. They didn't do anything to replace it. Tremaine Edmonds got his bag in Chicago, something that I don't really think the Bills – could afford and I didn't really want them to do. I don't think that spending $18 million on him was really necessary. Uh, so what are your thoughts on admins kind of the loss of that? And I know that's kind of what we're coming back to now because it was kind of, Oh, you know, they'll be fine. They got trouble. Now they got a bunch of guys, Bale inspector, someone is going to flash enough where we don't, we won't have to ask this question, but here I am asking it. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on the middle linebacker? Well, AJ, I've been concerned about it for a long time. Uh, I, I've never, I've never thought that the Bills had a starting caliber middle linebacker on their roster since Tremaine Edmonds has been gone. I've never been high on Terrell Bernard. Never been high on Tyrell Dotson. Never been high on Bale Inspector, AJ Klein. Like I don't think these are NFL starters, and I think some of them are perfectly fine backups and special teams players, but not an NFL starter, especially at a position where you hear how important it is whether it's Micah Hyde talking or Bobby Babich or Eric Washington or Sean McDermott, about how important it is for them to run the defense and be the leader of the defense and communicate and make sure that everyone's lined up and make the right calls so that the rest of the defense can be right. seems like it's important, right? Really important, especially Sean McDermott. This guy goes from Luke Keekley to Tremaine Edmonds to, to what, what does he have? You know I mean? It's, it's very, very peculiar to me. And I understand like, all right, you, you, you had your limits with what you wanted to pay the position and 18 was just not where you were comfortable with for Tremaine Edmonds, but you don't have an answer. And so I, I can I can understand letting him walk in free agency. Where I have a hard time is your replacement plan. 
Um, because you've been around Tyrell Dotson. You've had this guy around since 2019. You know what he's about. I mean, you drafted Terrell Bernard. I'd like to think that after a year being with him that you had some level of understanding about what he's going to be in year two. And so for them to not be able to sign uh, even like a Drew Tranquil type player, you know, I know Levante David went back to Tampa and maybe that was him wanting to stay where he's at, but you couldn't have like, like up that offer a little bit. I feel like there was opportunities out there to bring in talent and they were happy to roll with what they have. And and right now I, I think that's going to be a big miscalculation for this football team. Yeah, I think I, I can agree with you. I, I I'm of the same belief that they didn't, I'm not really concerned about losing Edmonds in the 18 million. I'm more concerned about what they did to replace him. I don't know if Balin Spector, like what, what is he? I, I mean, he looked good on the third day of camp when he got the opportunity, but that was the only really opportunity we got from him. I, I know Jordan Poyer spoke after practice. Well, they told you what they thought about it. They gave him one day to, to, to be the linebacker and never again. Right. Yeah. And what does that say? Yeah. So, and, and it was weird too, because I thought Poyer and Hyde were speak. I know they speak highly of their teammates, but like, they were like, he really commanded the huddle well on stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of a anomaly. I don't know what they're going to do there. I don't think Dodson's a starting caliber middle linebacker. I don't know for sure. Cause I've never actually seen it, but I'm, I'm pretty positive. He's not, I don't believe that AJ Klein, I mean, does he have any juice left in the tank? I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't think he's, good uh quite frankly I, I didn't have him making the initial 53 man roster i thought he was going to be cut and then uh i mean Baylor inspector and then you have terrell bernard who's kind of the weak side linebacker from baylor in the third round that they drafted to be the backup to milano but like what's actually the plan there and now he has the hamstring issue which hopefully can he can overcome that and maybe try and get some practice reps in before the season starts um but just the the whole idea of that middle linebacker room it is concerning um so yeah that's right When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's rough. It's a rough situation. You're you're thankful that Matt Milano exists, um, but I'd be calling Anthony Barr and Jermaine Carter and Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown. I'd be I'd be calling up Baltimore and saying, "Hey, what do you think about this Patrick Queen guy?" Like, there's things that I I would have done a lot more a lot sooner. But at this point, there's still things you can do. And if I'm Brandon Bean, I'd be thinking about that. Last part of the show, Joe. Thanks for uh, ha- or, uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's been, I think, great dialogue, great conversation. Defensive line, um, obviously, Von Miller still in the PUP uh, has not returned to practice. He looks to. I, I, it's trending more towards to me for a week five, week six return, but maybe an outside chance of that week on return. We'll see. Greg Rousseau, um, you know, Ed Oliver, AJ Epinesa. I mean, again, like when I watch AJ Epinesa during training camp, it's it's so much different for me than watching him in a, in a game for some reason. Like I just feel like AJ Epinesa is such a good tr- practice player and I've seen the flashes in, in camp. And then when it comes to the game, I'm, I'm looking at him like, an, you know, a couple of reps uh, on Saturday and I'm just, you know, where, where did that go? I, I don't know if it's confidence or if it's just getting those reps in games or if he's just like maybe a practice kind of guy. Um, but just your thoughts on the defensive line. Are you confident in them? If Von Miller misses 
four to five games to be able to get to like Rodgers consistently. I know the Jets have a subpar, you know, big offensive line issue, just like the Bills do right now. I know they have a couple easier games against the Commanders and the uh, uh, Raiders, and then they finish with the, the uh, Dolphins. So a couple of good teams in there. Joe, what are your thoughts on uh, the Bills' defensive line? Can they win games without Von Miller and get to the quarterback? I think so. I, I mean, obviously, they're going to be at their best when Von Miller's in there. But, I mean, between Rousseau and Leonard Floyd, I, I really like that mix. I mean, A.J. Epinesa, like you mentioned, he's looked good in practice. I know that we haven't seen that quite to the same level in preseason games to this point. But I think Boogie's had the direction, you know, the arrows pointing up. It's Shaq Lawson still around. I think you can probably make it work with those guys. And then, I mean, this defensive tackle situation feels like it's about as good as we've seen under – being in McDermott to this point with Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver and Puna Ford and Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips, right? And even some of those those next guys, whether it's Cortez Broughton or Kendall Vickers or Elianku, like there's some nice some nice options there as well. So I think that they have the horses that they need. I'm expecting Von Miller. I think it's week six. I think that's always been in my mind what makes the most the most sense. Um, you know, that week five maybe, but that's in London. And so you wonder if like, okay, Sunday night home against the Giants, Evan Neal's their right tackle. He's been uh, pretty bad so far to start his NFL career. Like, is that the right opportunity for him to come back? I, I think it is. Uh, but I think they can weather the storm for four or five games and get Vaughn back in there. And, you know, I think that should be enough time for Vaughn to come back and, and be Vaughn, right? I don't I think that's my big question. You don't really want to put him back on the field if he's not ready to make the impact that you need him to. Um, and I think if you give him till week six, I feel good about, um, where his knee's going to be at and him to be able to step in there and be that, that closer that the team enjoyed for what was it 11 games or something. And then, you know, no more. And we saw, we felt that difference with him in the lineup versus without him in the lineup. Yeah, this is definitely the most confident I've been in the uh, defensive line. I think the addition of Leonard Floyd will, will maybe potentially, be one of the most important off-season additions down the stretch into the late, you know, December, early January uh, games for the Bills. I, I like the interior depth. I think Tim Settle has actually played pretty decent throughout camp in the first couple of preseason games. You mentioned uh, Puna Ford, Boogie Basham. Uh, you know, those those guys are all suitable, you know, serviceable guys for me. I hope they're upgrades from like the Quentin Jeffersons and Vernon Butlers mm. of the world. Um, I, I hope that's what they can be for this team. Joe. Uh, any last words, your thoughts, plug what you got going on. I know you do great things for Bill's Mafia in this community. So just share share what you got going on and anything uh, coming up. Yeah, appreciate that, AJ. It's been fun talking with you here. Um, I do a daily podcast on the Buffalo Bills, Locked On Bills. It's free and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Been doing a lot of work for Bleacher Report lately. In fact, I have like three streams over the next week coming up uh, for people to check out. So get the Bleacher Report app and find my name and you can – uh, make sure that you're aware of all the streams that I start there. And so uh, that's what I got going on. Also, another daily podcast, Locked On NFL Scouting, where we talk not just about the Bills, but the entire NFL. So if you're looking for some national perspective from me, that is available for you as well on a daily basis. And there we have it, Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. Thanks for coming on. It's your host, AJ Sabalski, um, with another episode of AJ's Analysis. If you enjoyed the show, um, and if you're listening on audio, please like, uh, subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a really fun show today. Um, and I forgot that we'll get, we'll do some positive. I want to say one more thing. Josh Allen looked great. So don't worry about him. Uh, he had a really good day on Saturday, despite the offensive line and whatnot. I think he 
played very good. Um, so thank you. Thank you for everyone for listening. Um, this has been the greatest turnout for a live show. I appreciate the comments, the, the live interactions. It's been a, a really fun show. Um, and I will see you guys next week, Monday, where we will talk about the Bills versus Bears preseason matchup. Did anyone else separate themselves in position battles and much more? Um, so we will see you next time.